Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be the your host here for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people, but also, secondly, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense, and uh, you can kind of see how the word talent has those two different meanings, and this show really looks to explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives from all types of industries, and when I'm out at different networking events and conferences and roundtables, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will you know, again, hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can uh, submit your questions uh, to my guests via Twitter. Just uh, tweet them to at PeopleG2 with hashtag Talent Talk, and my producer, Mike, will feed me the uh, best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, you can listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes and Android or wherever you can find a podcast as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. Uh, this week, uh, we've surpassed the 11,000 listener mark on our podcast uh, feed, so we thank those of you that are uh, tuning in each week uh, on your treadmill, in the car, or whenever it's convenient for you, and hearing about our great guests. With that said, let's get today's show started. My guests uh, include Jessica Miller-Merrill, CEO of Exceptional HR, and also Dan Tampkin, Chief Technology Officer at Viola Transportation. Dan will be joining me in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and uh, get to our first guest. Jessica, welcome to sh- and thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, when you're done with that, maybe a little bit about your company, Exceptional HR. Well, my name is Jessica Miller-Merrill, and um, I... I'm a uh, former HR director that um, now works in the consulting realm of focusing on uh, digital and um, technology, either for HR and recruiting teams or um, HR technology service providers uh, in the industry. I was kind of looking through your, um, you know, your, your LinkedIn profile and information about you and kind of looked like earlier in your career you worked at some you know, high-profile re- retailers like Target and Home Depot, Office Max. Uh, as an HR manager or director, what was it that kind of pushed you or motivated you to start a company like Exceptional HR and kind of leave the, you know, where you came from? I'll just say that um, I didn't pick HR as a career. HR picked me. And um, when I started with working for Target, I thought I was going to be a store manager. And eight weeks into my training program with them, I found that they had uh, transferred me to a human resources role. And I wasn't very happy about it, but um, I quickly learned 
during my first Christmas holiday season with staffing and scheduling and, and all the people activities that you're involved in, how critical the right people in the right places at the right times were to the success, particularly in retail, um, could be. And, and that's kind of when I fell in love with the industry. And I really started experimenting with social media at that time. This was 2001. And wasn't having a lot of success with job boards. And, uh, well, they were too expensive for me for the budget that we had for our store. So mm-hmm. I was focusing on newspapers and uh, ended up going to um, dating sites to be able to source talent and was having good success pursuing roles. So that apparently is something special. And I ended up talking and blogging and writing about these things, which led me to to launching my company and, and consulting on those topics. So you mentioned something really interesting. You were going to dating sites to, to, to find this talent. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit more. I mean, I want to give up any of your, your secret sauce here, but, uh, you know, that, that that's a really interesting way to, to go after and find people. So in 2001, uh, I was really pretty much pre-social media, but chat rooms and forums were really popular. Uh, however, if you lived in a rural area like I did that I was responsible for recruiting in western Kansas, not a lot of people were really technology savvy and they weren't getting on local blogs or, or chat rooms. But one thing that they were doing online was looking for love. And most people who are looking for love will put the city their recent job and some information about them. And so at the time, for really not a lot of money or um, for free, I was able to go in and search those databases, uh, just like I would do on social networks, particularly with MySpace, and I would just shoot them a quick email that says, hey, uh, I'm looking for a department manager. You have department man- manager experience. I am a recruiter. Would this be something you would be opening to having a conversation about? Here's my phone number. Give me a call to talk. And uh, I made placements from anywhere from cashiers all the way up to store managers that way. Wow. That's a really uh, kind of ingenious way to, to go out and, and try to find what you need uh, with what you have. You know, that's uh, I think that's really cool. So, you know, having been you know, kind of operating exceptionally HR now for nine years, what have been, you know, maybe a couple of the challenges that you faced as an entrepreneur? So the, the entrepreneurial world is, is an interesting one for sure. And and when I first decided to, to do this full time, um, I thought I, I had a plan of how I was going to go about my business. But um, And I thought that most of my work was going to be HR consulting. Uh, and what I found about six months in is that while HR consulting for small business is could be fun, it's also... Um, work that's hard to get. There's a lot of hustling involved, but something that I, I could really control and uh, be able to consult with people on about were the areas of uh, social media and, and particularly technology. And as an, ultra, as an entrepreneur, um, it's exciting because different from the corporate world where I was always concerned about um, were my bosses reading this blog post, uh, the things that I was sharing on Twitter, were they going to be used against me um, in a mediation? Um, when you work for yourself and you're a small business with a limited number of employees, those sort of things aren't really as much of a problem as they were before. So I didn't have to think about the brand of Home Depot or Office Max and what I was doing. I was thinking about the brand of Jessica, and um, I was able to move swifter to market for a lot of things, uh, particularly when it comes to information for HR professionals and recruiters 
uh, regarding my blog. And so we can issue a press release really quickly or write a disruptive blog post and get people the information that they need. And um, apparently that's a sought-after art or skill that uh, not many people have in the space, idea generation and content development. So I do a lot of those things. So it sounds like you have a, lots of different areas of focus within your company, and maybe you can kind of expand on that a little bit and maybe share a, one or two success stories where, you know, you've been helping companies grow it, it, within that realm of what, you know, these sort of diverse things that you offer. Uh, so how um, really my business has been built uh, around my blog, and, and when I first started the blog and didn't think of it as a uh, something that my career was going to be built around. It was just something I was doing similar to the dating website to be able to develop candidate relationships and sort of a lead gen database so I can search and source for job seekers. So giving them insights and then being able to fill positions that I had open um, for, for my recruiting team. A lot of what we do now is just kind of the strategy side around that. So creative strategies for HR and recruiting teams, uh, a lot of it does involve social media or content development or, or storytelling online or in, in person, just sort of out-of-the-box ways. And I also do the, a similar thing uh, for HR technology or service provider companies. Uh, most of the marketing people or even CEOs or founders of a lot of these startups, they have a good idea, but they do not have any human resources or, or recruiting background, or it's very small. Maybe they were a contract recruiter at Facebook for 90 days. And that really doesn't give you a big picture of uh, the organization and really what the roles and responsibilities are of the people that they're trying to sell in. Um, and HR people in general, for good reason, um, are a guarded bunch, and they don't like to be sold to um, in the same way that I think recruiters do because recruiters are more sales-oriented. Uh, but a lot of my business is on the service provider technology side, um, having to do a lot with my blog because we have an audience of practitioners who are reading. We're sharing insights and information from the many writers um, who are, are contributing in the commenters and, and, and various people from the Internet. And so I, I kind of have like a live focus group where we can kind of test ideas and really get these technology products instant feedback on what's working in the market or what is a trending topic instantly. One of the things that you kind of mentioned in there was your blog, and I believe that's bloggingforjobs.com, correct? Yes. And yep, that's my blog. And you also have Workology that you're involved with. And you, know, you talked a little bit about that, but maybe you can kind of go a little deeper here and maybe kind of share what, what's kind of been the way that it's kind of allowed you to assist HR professionals and talent managers better and the understanding of, you know, kind of human capital is a larger, you know, idea. So my, my philosophy with, with blogging for jobs and, and really work college, I guess my, my business philosophy is that the, the practitioner is, and by practitioner, I mean the, the HR, the recruiting person in the trenches, dialing the phones, pushing candidates through the applicant tracking system, dealing with sexual harassment investigations, building strategy, what have you. Um, they're often left out of the equation in the high, the high level senior decision and strategy making. And certainly a lot of these sort of day to day how to's or information is left out um, from the mass media. So you're traditional like HR executive magazine and other places because they're appealing to a very senior audience. But as a practitioner, I was talking with my friends about 
you know, things that were important to me, like what happens if I get an EEOC claim or what are the seven best ways to conduct a video interview. These are kind of things that are, are really important to um, a, a growing number of people who are using social media, the Internet, and technology to get access to information. And so the blog is really founded on, on those types of conversations. So real people, real practitioners sharing leadership and useful information that's fun but also educational at the same time. I, I think that uh, peer learning is really important, and so that's why I focus a lot of the different information that we do uh, on the blog, and it's it's really worked for us. I mean, uh, you put the voice of many um, on the power on one site, and we're able to um, elevate the conversation to get a wider audience of people and and more conversations and activities happening. Um, with regard to Workology, Blogging for Jobs originally started out being just a, a, a blog for me. And we added Rayanne uh, Thorne a couple years ago to the site, so it's myself and Rayanne and a few guest contributors occasionally. But it's really, really grown. And, and now we have um, 25 writers, six days a week, three times a day, who are publishing original content onto the site. So I really personally need a place that's just kind of my home. Mm-hmm for me to share things as I'm developing them and writing them in my mind. And so Workology is, is kind of that place where I'm able to focus the conversation, not just on general broad HR topics, but really about the things that I really love. So uh, technology, digital, and, and the social side of things. One of the things I've noticed over the last few years is how much HR is really a part of that, you know, the crowd you talked about, about, you know, a group of people, coming together, working together, kind of you know, brainstorming together or exchanging those ideas. And I don't know if that's partly because HR are those types of people or if it's because there's some really specific challenges and there's some really, uh, there's not always a one way to deal with a problem. And it seems like the Internet and these groups and, and blogs have really have a special place in the world of HR that maybe I, you don't see quite the same place for other types of jobs or industries, you know, where people can come find other experts, find other exchanges of ideas, and hopefully take something away that they could use right away in their specific problem, all under that umbrella of compliance and the law and strategy and the larger organization. So it really seems like it's adapted itself well and is a good place for people uh, to find that information. Where, it, where there's also that trust factor because you can find anything on the internet, sure. right? <laughs> we can we can find oh, anything yeah. out there, but this is like such a trusted group of people kind of coming together. Is that is that kind of the right way to to describe it? Yeah, you know, HR people, um, it's a lonely profession uh, because really, and it's kind of sad that, that I'll say this, but it's true. Uh, you can't really have friends at work. Because the person that you go to lunch with Monday might be the person that you're investigating for some sort of policy violation on Tuesday. And uh, so we, we keep to ourselves a lot, uh, not all of us, and this isn't always true, but uh, you don't necessarily go to happy hours and, and those kind of like peer bonding activities. And because our challenges is not something I can share with a coworker and say, oh, my gosh, you would not believe, you know, the termination that I had to oversee today. That's not some uh, a peer-to-peer conversation that you can have at the right, workplace. Right. So blogs and these online com- communities, and particularly Twitter, allow for those kind of conversations to happen uh, with us. 
uh, it's more of a sense of community. And, and that's why I think that these blogs and, and Twitter in particular is so powerful. And in 2008, when I first got on Twitter, it was like, oh my gosh, there's other people who are out there going through the same kind of stuff just like me that maybe some of the other forums and uh, paid communities weren't providing. Right. So when you look back at your career and your own kind of personal talent development, what can you identify as something that really helped you shape the leader that you are today? So I've written about this a couple times, and I think that bad bosses uh, shape <laughs> the kind of leader yeah, best. We get that a lot. <laughs> it, it, really, so it, it's not a unique thing. You know, I, I had a few that were real doozies, and, and I had um, some unique situations, and it seemed extremely uh, erratic and, 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 you know, very caused a lot of anger um, and, and I was unha- a lot of unhappiness. But at the end of the day, when I'm, I'm looking back, like those types of situations and exposing myself to toxic people or just people who didn't work with my personality provided me more learning than um, and also made me appreciate the good bosses that I had. I knew what I didn't want from yeah. a boss. Yeah, I think a lot of our guests would be very similar in the answer that you gave, that either it was, you know, some really special mentor that they had, or they also, you know, will list some really bad boss. It was They learned so much from that experience, again, like you said, uh, to appreciate the good bosses, to appreciate those good people in your life, but also what were the things that they really did that alienated people, that caused the problems, that... That really broke things. And when you can see it that clearly, then in the next situation, in the next uh, place you're in, you can really kind of ensure that those things are not creeping into your organization because you can you, you have that experience to see how that's affecting everyone, how that impacts everyone, and maybe what to look for on your next interview as well. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think that failure, um, while, you know, isn't it's something that we look upon negatively, but it's definitely a really great learning experience because then you know exactly what not to do, Mm -hmm. which is so key. Is there like a specific skill or technique that you kind of feel contributes to your role, but maybe you had to work on it over time. It wasn't so natural for you. And if there is, how did you get there? Uh, A lot of what I'm known for is my blogging ability and the writing that I do. Uh, We, I probably have uh, between seven and ten articles a week published in, in various places, so I, I do a lot of writing. Writing wasn't always so easy. I do remember a time when I was younger, and I would say uh, I remember like nine or ten that I really enjoyed writing, and then when I was in high school, uh, I really enjoyed my creative writing class, but you kind of lose that create creativity uh, when you're underneath a sea of emails and policy manuals. Writing has taken a lot of time. I did a lot of practice to kind of understand what my voice is. Mm-hmm. And then the ability to believe that you're an expert or somebody that's worth hearing about um, when, when specifically that you're writing. I don't have to be somebody who knows everything about a topic. I just have to present them uh, with a story that's compelling and interesting. And, and writing, I think, story, digital storytelling in particular, is is a lost art and it's not something that everybody does really well and while i love it i've had to work really hard Mm -hmm. to get there so you know let's let's pretend uh you're an old friend from college or something called you and you know and said hey i'm gonna i'm gonna pursue a career in hr what's the one thing that i need to do to be successful in that atmosphere and in that role what what would you tell them while hr is 
very compliance and employee regulations heavy. I think that the ability to um, be able to um, to stand up to your peers, and oftentimes your boss, your boss's boss, mm-hmm. is really key. Uh, there have been situations where I had to investigate, um, you know, a coworker that was one of my first stores. Um, I investigated a, a coworker for uh, discrimination. The unhappiness and angerness and just the drama that sometimes circulates around something like that that's really uncomfortable. So being able to handle those kind of situations and then uh, really preparing for those sort of random, weird um, employee or HR conversations because you're going to have to be able to talk off the cuff. So I like to be very organized even when I'm going into termination uh, meeting and where I'm prepping my people on what types of situations and things may happen uh, so that that we get the right message out at the right time and then those people that are exiting the organization or we're dealing with, with people situations um, leave the meeting uh, with as much dignity as possible because that um, I think is really key. Right. Well, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, what are you reading right now and tell us about that book. Uh, so I, when I was looking at the list of questions that you sent over, I thought, wow, you know, so I read lots of blogs. And I read lots of articles. I just moved to the Northern California area and commute to different places. Sometimes you can be in traffic for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I just started getting involved in audiobooks. And so I use audible.com. And I just downloaded today Be the Pack Leader. Uh, it's actually a, a dog uh, training book. But right now I'm seeing a lot of alignment, like as a leader and a manager of your own pack, whether it's your employees or your company or your family, and how your um, your personal beliefs and feelings of who you are as an individual impact um, your entire team. Yeah, there's definitely uh, being a strong leader, having that confidence, um, knowing, kind of being true to yourself, knowing who you are. Those are usually some pretty big traits for for, for leading a pack, and I'm sure that that's, uh, you know, whether it's Caesar Milan, uh, you know, tr- helping you yeah. train a dog, or if it's, um, you know, putting it into the workplace, it makes a lot of sense, because those people who are weak, who are, uh, don't know who they are, are unsure of themselves, they, they tend to get into these leadership positions sometimes, and they're terrible at them, <laughs> because they don't really know, have a, a footing to stand on, they don't really, you know, know where they, where they want to go. Well, you know, fear it can be a powerful motivator, but in in the dog environment, it, it in the pack environment, it doesn't necessarily work. And I, I think that fear is a short term motivator. And when you're looking at like your workplace and employee engagement, which pro- workplace productivity uh, cost and engagement is one of the most powerful drivers for that. It's costing U.S. companies 450 to 550 billion dollars a year. Wow. So making sure that you are a great leader and that you're not managing by fear and uh, taking the time to get to know your employees so that you can customize conversations, communications, and relationships with each of those individuals is really the key for a uh, profitable and successful business. Well, Jessica, uh, we've gotten here to the end of, of our interview today. I really appreciate you being on the show. You've been a great guest. Before you, we go, can you uh, let everyone know if they would like to get a hold of you or find out more about your blogs or whatever? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm all over Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, I'm at Blogging for Jobs. 
and that's the number four. So just tweet me. It's probably the best way. Also, you can go to bloggingforjobs.com. That's uh, our HR and, and workplace collaborative blog, or my personal blog, uh, workology.com. Fantastic. Jessica, thank, uh, thank you again for being our guest on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It was a pleasure having you. Dan Tapkin is coming up next after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. We want to remind everybody the Talent Talk Radio Show is brought to you by People G2, a company founded in 2001 that's dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. They were recently named one of the best places to work, also in Orange County, as well as one of the fastest-growing privately held companies by the Orange County Business Journal. And they were even recognized by the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing privately-owned companies nationwide. Sounds like they're onto something. If you want to learn more about People G2, please visit them online at www.peopleg2. That's People G2. All right, let's go back to Chris and his next guest. Who you got next, Chris? Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder before we get to our next guest, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and clicking on, of course, Talent Talk. In the short time uh, the show has existed, we've already amassed a huge following. I think we mentioned well over 11,000 regular subscribers, so thank you. My next guest is Dan Tampkin. Chief Technology Officer of Viola, Viola Transportation. Don't forget to tweet your questions right live right now for Dan by sending them to at PeopleG2 with the hashtag Talent Talk. So, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. So, talk a little bit about yourself and your company, uh, Veolia Transportation. Sure, I always like to, you know, when I think about talking about myself, it's uh, usually kind of just a few acronyms, right? So, I, I've been in uh, the venture capital world. I've been an entrepreneur, and now I've been an executive at a large company. So I feel like I've I've seen uh, you know the, the three different uh, three different windows that, that one could one could view the realm from. As far as what I'm up to today with Veolia, uh, Veolia acquired a company I uh, refounded many years ago called Unified Dispatch. It's a software company. Uh, they bought my company. It was the first uh, purchase of a uh, software company that I'm aware of that they did. Uh, Veolia is a large international company. Uh, spans, I think, uh, 26 to 27 countries at this point. So it's a big company with 120,000 employees. What we do is we, we run, you know, contract operations for government. So in your city, we'd run the rail, we'd run the transit. We might, if you have a ferry in your city, we'd run that. And in a bunch of other cities, we have on-demand transportation, which is stuff that consumers can use. Uh, Super Shuttle is a very popular brand. That's a Veolia company that's in 40 cities, services many airports that we own. 16 cab companies, and we have about 45 uh, black car operations uh, around the U.S. And even in the Bay Area, for anyone who might be listening from there, uh, we run a lot of these uh, corporate shuttle programs for uh, big customers like eBay and Yahoo and uh, Apple. So, you know, as the chief technology officer, 
And one of your tasks is to kind of transition the technology from an operational to a more strategic role. Can you talk a little bit about this and, and what you've been able to do to, to accomplish that so far? Sure. Well, you know, when I when I came on board, uh, it, you know, Veolia's really uh, grown by acquisition. And so we bought um, a lot of operating companies and our integration model has been, in terms of the technology side, a little bit lighter touch. So we'll integrate them on the insurance, HR, and some other pieces where we can gain you know, a lot of leverage and improve the profitability of the business. Uh, but the technology side has kind of been left to stand alone. Now, what's happened a lot in our industry, as many of your listeners are probably familiar with, is the, kind of the rise of Uber and Sidecar and Lyft. Mm-hmm. And so whereas we've grown by acquisition and we have all these systems and all these, these methods of operation that kind of sprung up organically in them that are very successful businesses unto their own right, we're now seeing unprecedented opportunity um, in this market. I mean, really, there's never, to my knowledge, been a time like this where, you know, the game is kind of wide open again. And that that's made us look at, well, can you take advantage of these opportunities by building on top of all these different modes of operation that everybody has. Uh, what one guy does in Kansas City might be completely different than what one guy does in Denver, and they'll have different systems to do that. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to build a kind of nationwide platform when you have that problem. So a lot of my challenge is thinking about how do we preserve the local culture and ways of operation, but also roll it up into something that's meaningful, meaningfully nationally so we can exploit our scale and size. Well, it sounds a little bit like, you know, kind of a corporate development role. And so you know, I wonder what, what will be your overall goal in that area and you know, kind of what's your plan for achieving more of that development and including that in that development, you know, how does kind of talent feed into that? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, that's a great point. So I look at the corporate development side from a couple things, you know, one, it, it touches my background as a VC, which means reaching into the, the startup community because um, I, I've been in this market for uh, seven, eight years now. And I've seen three different ways of Silicon Valley investment um, come in, and none of them have ever created any impact on the industry or meaningful impact until now. And so that, that says a, um, a couple things. One, from the corporate development side, it's really important that we're on top of those things because there's going to be new ideas coming along that can revolutionize our business that we need to see early. And then from the talent side, those new ideas, the people that are bringing in those new ideas are coming in with a completely fresh perspective. Um, they don't have existing P&Ls or, or businesses to think about. They are reimagining everything from the ground up. And that is really exciting because there are some talented people that could be um, applying themselves to many different industries, and they're applying it to ours. And we get excited thinking about this wave of youth and energy that's coming in of people that want to be part of transportation. Yeah, I mean, uh, some, some of those different uh, apps and services you mentioned, I mean, they've really, there's a lot of steam they've already kind of, really gathered, but there's such an open market and such a potential there. Uh, it does sound quite exciting. I, I know. Yeah, I think we're just starting. I, I think, you know, Uber's had a, a great run, and they're, they're, I, this run continues, I'm not saying it's over, but it's, uh, there's just, I feel like we're just at the beginning of this game and that there's massive change ahead. Right, right. Well, I know, you know, earlier when you were at, before uh Unified Dispatch was purchased. I mean, you kind of stepped into a CEO role there, and company experienced some, some very successful growth and uh, maintained you know, good good levels of profitability. Maybe you can kind of share for us what you saw as the cornerstone of that success in helping grow the company. Sure, I think that 
the biggest thing was um, when I was running the company under the prior ownership, uh, it was a VC back thing. And, and over time, it became about preserving the value of the existing company. And, and, and sometimes when things are bad, people shift their focus towards not losing, right? Or just, I have this and I don't want to, I don't want it to be degrading value. And once we kind of, once we bought the company and restructured it, we focused the, it back to winning. And the difference is when you're not losing, you're just trying to preserve something so you're doing whatever you can to preserve it. But when you're winning, you're saying, okay, these are the things we're going to do and these are the things we can be good at. Focus was huge uh, in having clarity of purpose. We had, uh, the old company had probably, you know, I don't know, 15 different little products and we slimmed it down to, I remember there was emails flying everywhere. There was just emails about everything. It seemed like everyone was getting 200, 300 emails a day. And when you had clarity of purpose, it was amazing. The emails shrunk to like 25. It was take care of these clients and take care of these products. And if you do this, this, and this, here's a success. Right. Well, once you define all that, you get stability. And it's really important in an organization to have um, stability. I think, especially if you're not, if you're kind of going more for a lifestyle business approach, that stability gives people one, you know, the ability to try things without, you know, massive uh, fear of, uh, you know, being thrown out of the company if they do something wrong. It also gives them a sense that they're in a place that they can be around and they don't have to worry about uh, will, will the check come next week, which is, you know, often a problem in, in startups. Right. And that really also gave us the ability to focus on what is really important, which was serving our clients. So within that environment, do you think there was a particular hire or, uh, you know, a talent issue that maybe a particular person you brought in that really helped you drive home you know, that, that purpose, that, uh, you know, really what you were trying to do or, or maybe a particular, you know, job that you thought was really, really hard to fill given, given kind of the direction you took the company. You know, I'd probably go the other way on that. If I think about things I could have done better, one of the things I now realize was that we, you know, we went from 22 to three people when we, when we switched ownership. So, um, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, lost their jobs, and when we sold, we were about 25 people. So we ended up adding adding jobs back along the way, and, and then some. The thing I realized as we got into the kind of mid-teens was that I needed to give up more and more control, and that things were better off in other people's hands. And uh, a good example is today, uh, the CEO of Unified Dispatch is not me; it's a gentleman named Brady Valentine, and he's done a fantastic job with the business and approached it in ways I wouldn't have thought about because I had been doing it so long and plus for different people with different backgrounds and experiences. One of the things that, you know, I, I think is huge for people is just learning to, uh, learning to let go. And I, I actually now that you keep me on it, one other thing would be we brought on, we, we sent on that and, and we brought in a guy that helped us, you know, build our technology team. And, and we, we kind of took that risk from going from a one or two developer shop to a more professional. Uh, shop and that was kind of a, a leak. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think people are important, but people can only work with a founder or a CEO as much as that person is willing to give up authority to them and stay out of their way. And that's a very tough thing for a lot of founders. Yeah, and we've had past guests, you know, talk about sometimes it was a CTO that was really hard, or it was their business development person was you know such a key for them. But you know, every business is different, and it does depend on if you're owning the company and running it, or if you're working for somebody else, like you said, you know, they're going to give up a certain amount of their control or 
kind of overseeing particular things to allow other people to run and, and do what they do best. So it, it can jump from yeah. differently from person to person. You know, I, I know maybe if you kind of look back, you know, over your time, your your career to this point, do you think there's a particular person or event that you can point to that really kind of helped you move up to the next level uh, or make some, you know, dramatic jump in your own development? Well, I mean, there's, there's been a, a lot of them along the way. Uh, I mean, number one's always been my father. He's a, probably the biggest influence on my business career and, and someone I talk with all the time about business. I've had, I, I've been very lucky. I've had two terrific mentors and uh, Bob Duggan, um, who is the CEO of Computer Motion, and uh, which became Intuitive Surgical, and uh, Bob Lowe's, who was at one point the CEO of Burger King. Uh, I, I mean, I've been just blessed that some people have been willing to invest in me, and I think that's one of the most important things for people who are looking to move up in their careers to find somebody, and probably easier to find outside of your organization, that you can talk to and just have a cup of coffee with. And, and you'd be surprised how much people really enjoy investing in other people. I mean, it's some people from that it's a big ask to ask, you know, this big person to sit down with me. Um, you'd be surprised how much they enjoy giving you advice. Um, it, it's really a it's really a wonderful thing to help somebody grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's um, amazing how much people do appreciate that that role of being a mentor. And I've had people say, well, you know, how do I get someone like that? Well, you need to ask, or you need to put yourself in a position to be around them, or to be you know get exposed to them, or you know interact with them in some way so you can learn. I mean. Complaining about it, sitting on the sidelines, certainly won't get it done. Yeah, and I'm sure it's like like dating or anything else. Right? You're going to get some rejections. You're going to get some mixes that that, that don't work. And and I think that's that's okay. Uh, you need to you need to be willing to experiment. And mentors change over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, a lot of the early mentors in my career are. I mean, they're already probably wealthy when when they were mentors, and now they're even more wealthy. And they're you know they're they're less engaged in the business world. So. Um, I have to find other people to to ask questions of, and of course, along the way, I've had to, you know, I've, I've had to, and I enjoy paying it back yeah. and working with other people. Well, and it's wonderful you have your father to kind of, you know, be there as a, a part of that process. Of quite a few of our guests have mentioned a, a parent or parents that being a really big important part of their role as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business owner, uh, it does seem to be a a commonality there between a lot of the people we've had on the show. It's a, it's a kind of interesting, you know, um, point on the on the statistical scale of how many of them have, have kind of mentioned that. You know, but kind of putting yourself in, in a role of mentoring and, and helping your own staff grow, whether it was a Unified or, or now in the role you're in, you know, what what is it you share? What is it that you try to have your employees do to maximize their own potential and, and talent? I think you got to look at what's best for the employee, and, and you got to see how that maps to your business. We had a pretty common problem at Unified Dispatch, which was at some point people would grow, and, and since we're about 25 people, you know, we don't have like huge mid-level management, but these were, but some people clearly became the point where uh, they needed to progress, and we couldn't offer them that opportunity. I think a lot of companies would hide those growth opportunities from people or not be willing to counsel people on their own career. I tried not to do that. And, and my viewpoint was, you know, basically celebrate your employees who succeed. They need to realize their success. And if you hold them back from it, they'll, they'll be upset with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tried to view it as a graduation. I think the other thing, some of the employers want to hold people back because it's they're personally afraid of change. And, and frankly, as much as we've, had some great people go on to, to do some great things. 
it's represented an opportunity to, break, to let somebody else step up. So it actually works out well for the business, too. So to me, I, I really kind of want to help employees figure out where they want to go and, and how I can uh, help them get them there. So that's number one is be careful with their, you know, be, be thoughtful of their career. The number two thing is, you know, you got to get the right people on the bus and the wrong people off it. Mm-hmm. Some people just don't fit. You know, I think as you go along in your career, you understand fit. At the beginning of my career, I never really understood that, but now I get that better than I did then. And you just see some people just, just don't mesh with the culture. Um, and it's good to, or, or just don't have the right attitude, and it's best to get them off. And then when you do get them off, the thing I've learned the most is how you treat those people on the way out the door says more about your organization to everybody who's remaining than all your speeches, all your emails, all your everything. So, yeah. you know, be, be gracious, be polite, um, be helpful, want to see people succeed. You know, UDI was a good financial outcome, but the thing I think about uh, the most and I get the most joy out of is thinking about, you know, people that have come in and grown and gone off to do, um, you know, things that they probably, you know, a few years prior didn't think they could do. And, and that's not uh, UDI's success, uh, Unified Dispatch success. That's their success, but we got to to, to watch the ride. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about one guy. We had a a guy that was working behind the counter at a UPS store as his uh, uncle's business, and we found him. and He came in and he learned everything about the technology and products, and he built himself up. Uh, went to one of our largest clients, led the entire demo thing for New York City Transit, which is a huge project. Did a fantastic job. I had everybody, you know, all the teams we were partnering with telling me how, how wonderful this guy is, and I and he was. And then he came, and at the end of the project, uh, we started saying, well, you know, we probably don't have anything for you at this point. And he went off to go run the interactive voice response team for a, a very large credit card processor. Hmm. And, again, that that's his success, and, but we got to watch it, and that that's one of my favorite things in my career. Uh, it's really, really a nice, nice moment for for everybody. Yeah, seeing someone graduate on and and really make a success of themselves, and uh, yeah, it could, it could be a lot different. You could have held them back. You could have, you know, given them things to keep them busy and, and distracted. But uh, I think you you're right. You do yourself a, a better service by helping those people be a success, even if that means it's not with you sometimes. Yeah, and I, th- I think you just have a, a a role as a human being in the world to to help and, and serve others, right? That's kind of how we get along is helping each other. And the, it, it just makes the world a better place when, when we, we're not just thinking about only our piece of the set, our only, only our piece. So, you know, we've talked a little bit today about you, you've been to VC, you, you, you've, you've worked under that, you know, area, then you bought the company and then worked as the entrepreneur, as the CEO, and now as you know, a CTO or in kind of inside a much, much, much larger organization. So I think that you've seen kind of business from all different perspectives that maybe a lot of us haven't had quite as many different uh, viewpoints. So when you take all of that knowledge and, and experience, what do you see as the biggest challenge for an entrepreneur who's trying to get started today? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a good question. This answer, you know, the answer I give today is different than the answer I would give probably two, three years ago. Um, it's just an unprecedented time of opportunity right now. A lot of it depends on your risk profile. You know, do you want to 
you want to build a, a you want to build a billion dollar corporation in seven years? Do you want to build a billion dollar corporation in twenty years? Or do you want to have a, a you know a small business that you know it, what do, what do you want out of things? You know that 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 certainly says a lot about it. But we, you watch what's going on in Silicon Valley with these companies that that are. They're doing something that technically is very small. The technical aspect of it's small, and they're inexpensive to start versus 10 years ago when the cost to start those companies would have been massive. I mean, just those opportunities wouldn't have existed. And then they grow them into, uh, you know, very, very large opportunities, and they might just simply be only an app on your phone. It, it's, it's really, really an exciting time. It's a, uh, and I, and I guess the, the final piece of that is technology used to be a sector. We talked about the tech sector, and now I don't think it's a sector anymore. I think it's part of every industry. I mean, it, it's certainly revolutionizing uh, you know, the company I'm at today. As technology becomes the operating system of the company, it gets speed and, and rapidity of movement. It just, it just becomes so much easier to create change, and the more you create change is really the rate of the rate of change you create in the market is your opportunity. If you have a market that's not going to change, you can't create a big business. You can only create a small business, and it'll take you a long time. Mm-hmm. As we accelerate the rate of change, the opportunity just goes up and up and up, and it's it just feels like we've been on a massive vertical climb for the last decade. So does that kind of put the challenge back on the entrepreneur to find the right you know opportunity? I mean, it sounds like you're saying there's a lot of opportunities out there. So you know, my thought was, well, then the challenge must be finding the right one. Yeah, I mean, you, you gotta, I think if there's anything, you know, some people that build their businesses on a spreadsheet and there's some people that build their businesses on, on, you know, their heart and muscle. Um, I, I always would rather bet on the guy with the heart and muscle. I think you gotta love the industry you're in. I think you gotta be passionate about it. I think you gotta read all the time about it and be really, really into it. If you're not willing to pour everything into it, then why, then why would your customers, why would your employees, why would anybody else get excited about it? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think those, it's hard to succeed when, when you don't have a genuine love and passion for something. And usually that love and passion will, will translate to some kind of competitive advantage in terms of being skilled at it. Well, we have uh, just a couple of questions, uh, time for just a couple of questions here. One of our favorite questions to ask, uh, and I'm, I'm going to guess you're going to have a good answer for me, is you know, what, what are you reading right now? I probably don't have a great answer for you. Actually, uh, it's really been the, de- the death of books for me. Uh-oh. Um, I, read, I read tons of blog posts. Well, that's reading. It doesn't have to be a book. So maybe what blogs yeah, or what things are interesting you. That's true. Well, when it comes to books, honestly, I try to get as much Buffett as I can. <laughs> um, and why I go back to Warren Buffett is that um, there's a lot of uh, power in his uh, simplicity. If you can look at an industry or you can look at a situation and you can reduce all the noise and just get to the signal. A few sentences can tell you a lot. And one of the things that's interesting about his writing is he will say something in a sentence or two that can, that are rules that will define uh, how an entire industry will work. Mm-hmm. That could be all you need to know. He's really teaching you how to think, not what to think. Um, a good example, that I think there was somewhere in his writing where he says, you get what you incentivize for, right? That's a very simple concept. It's very powerful. Right? When incentives are misaligned, business tends to not go very well. Right. Uh, when incentives are aligned, things tend to go well. But it's amazing how many people that that simplicity isn't adhered to. Yeah, I mean, if you're not reading it the right way, if you're not looking for those maybe bits of inspiration, and that's that may be 10 why entrepreneurs may look at that a lot differently than someone who's in middle management reading that 
uh, that piece. So it may be a bit of perspective there, too. Out, uh, I should point out that Mark Schuster's blog at both sides of the table is really fantastic for somebody who's interested in operations and learning about the investment side. It's, uh, it, it's just amazing. It's a great read. And the blog is both sides of the table? And he's a well-known L.A. Uh, VC uh, with Upfront Ventures. Mm-hmm. And he's been an entrepreneur with two, two, you know, two, twice and with both with successful outcomes. So I, I think he's a good read for anybody who's interested in being an entrepreneur as well as anyone interested in being on for the Raises VC. Well, that's great advice. Uh, you know, we're, we're just about out of time here. I wanted to make sure that uh, if anyone you know, wants to find out more about your, your company or things that you're doing, what's the best way for them to find out more? Uh, sure, dan.sampkin at gmail.com. Should I spell it out? Or? Uh, sure, go ahead. Dan.tamkin uh, at gmail.com. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you being our guest today. I hope you'll come back and uh, give us an update uh, down the road on, on what you're doing and how your whatever company you're involved with is is doing. Thank you, Chris, and I certainly appreciate anyone who took the time to listen. Thank you very much for your time. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, Jessica Miller-Merrill and Dan Tampkin. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. Uh, next week, we'll be uh, speaking with Brian Feller, managing partner at Feller Box and & Company, and also Stephen Rothberg, president and founder of collegerecruiting.com. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping their clients with people-related decisions by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, and much more. Check them out at People G2.